0: Welcome to the Littler Diversity and Inclusion Podcast, conversations related to the human resource challenges of an ever-evolving workforce. Welcome to Episode 8 of my Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Podcast Series, your Diversity and Inclusion Toolkit. My name is Elisha Asgard dotson and I am a diversity equity and inclusion trainer, consultant, and a shareholder with Littler Mendelssohn, the largest management side labor and employment law practice in the world. Sadly, there has been a surge in workplace incidents involving symbols of hate. Whether these symbols are nooses, unequal signs, confederate flags or other symbols, they place employers and workers in a fraught situation. Indeed, displaying or allowing the unimpeded display of racially offensive materials and symbols such as swastikas or confederate flags, newses or racist cartoons or even drawings can subject an employer to a claim for hostile work environment. Whether the images are posted in a public area, hung in a person's office, or distributed over email is irrelevant. These issues are only compounded when the symbology might come with racially offensive slurs or jokes. In one such case, an African American employee complained that the employer let employees wear Confederate flag t-shirts to work for two months before the employer finally instructed the supervisor to start sending the employees home to change. The complainant alleged that the employer procrastinated for two months before acting on his complaint because the employer lacked concern for the employee's feelings on this matter. For the complainant, the Confederate flag was a symbol of racism that evoked the history of slavery. The EEOC director, Office of Federal Operations, agreed with the complainant's reasoning and reversed a dismissal of the complainant's claim. Importantly, with the increased rhetoric around being anti-racist and promoting equity, all eyes are on employers to do the right thing but identifying what that right thing might be when the pressure is on can be trying. To that end, I've counseled several employers through these choppy waters recently and thought I might share a few high-level suggestions on how employers can be proactive in this space. We will also discuss strategies that an employer might use if an unfortunate situation should arise despite their best proactive efforts. Beyond proactively increasing security and the number of cameras on site, one of the most effective tools for combating racism in workplaces is to draw a bright line for employees. It might seem nuts and bolts, but a first line of defense is to revisit and then socialize your existing anti-discrimination and anti-harassment policies, as well as your anti-retaliation and reporting mechanisms with your workforce. This means ensuring that these policies are up to date and then explaining them to your workforce loudly, Proudly and often during your regular safety or team meetings. Foremost in editing or drafting such policies, in the first instance, is to ensure that the company's prohibition of racial harassment and discrimination is emphasized. An employer's policy can even include specific examples of actions that could be considered racial harassment in the workplace, outside the workplace, or on social media. Such actions might include brandishing Confederate flags and symbols, swastikas, nooses, and horseplay, or even joking that could be perceived as having racial undertones. It is okay to outline the company's recognition of employees' rights to discuss workplace issues while underscoring that discussions regarding non-workplace issues such as politics, religion, or even current events are not always productive workplace time and can lead to unnecessary disagreements that impact productivity and morale and are therefore discouraged Include a written statement that employees who violate the company's anti-discrimination or anti-harassment policies will be subject to discipline, including termination. Reiterate the company's anti-discrimination and harassment policy and require all employees to acknowledge their understanding and agreement to abide by the terms included in those policies. Remember that any revisions to the company's workplace should be launched with a roar and not a squeak, because they are only effective if they are known and understood amongst your workforce. An oft-underutilized employment policy that can be just as effective a tool in this space as a company's anti-harassment policies is the dress code or the attire policy. However, employers should be careful not to word a dress code so it conflicts with the National Labor Relations Act. For example, a company was held to have violated the NLRA when it sent home an employee for wearing a shirt that said slave on it with the image of a ball and chain. By comparison... A Confederate flag or a race-based pennant would not constitute concerted activity. Still, I caution employers to partner with counsel when implementing such policies or enforcing them in difficult situations. Anticipating your thoughts, this is just about the time that folks think zero tolerance in big, bold letters. I caution against zero tolerance verbiage with harassment issues because the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission is critical of such language as potentially chilling reporting and negating the due process rights of the accused. Thus, while it is important for employers to communicate that absolutely no harassment will be permitted in the workplace, the EEOC does not endorse the term zero tolerance to convey that message, and I would therefore avoid using it in your policies. But I never take away one tool without giving you another. The other tool for your diversity, equity, and inclusion tool belt that I'd recommend in the stead of zero tolerance is education. Employee-wide mandatory training on inclusion and anti-discrimination, anti-retaliation, social media usage, reporting mechanisms, and even your dress code can help reinforce an employer's values. A separate and ideally complementary set of manager-specific trainings in this very space can help prepare your supervisors to take the right steps if a symbol of hate is reported in the workplace or beyond. In all of these trainings, Employees can be cautioned and reminded that an employer's policies may apply just as stringently to on-site, as off-site, or even cyber conduct. In an instance where an employer should encounter a race-based or otherwise offensive symbol in the workplace or beyond, I suggest that an employer go back to the basics by investigating before acting. Before handing out discipline, investigate the allegedly offensive conduct instead of relying on employee reports. The appropriately crafted policies we've discussed will help an employer support and inform such a thorough investigation. If necessary, employers can consider using an independent third-party investigator to display even more even-handedness in their actions. Ultimately, a prompt and thorough investigation will also aid a company in explaining to the employee and sometimes the press, why the piece of clothing, decal, or other material was offensive to others who were from different backgrounds and have different experiences than the employee wearing it, and that the company's policies are intended to protect everyone's right to a harassment-free workplace. Some employees may argue they have a First Amendment right to express their political views and the Confederate flag or other symbol is a political statement unrelated to slavery or hate. However, private employers should remember that the First Amendment does not apply to employees in a non-governmental workplace, and that despite the subjective intentions of the employee wearing the shirt or displaying the symbol, others may reasonably or objectively assume motives racially hostile or at least insensitive." However, employers ought to remember that in some states and localities, political affiliation or political ideology is a protected class. So employers must be careful that the offensive material not be directly tied to an employee's political affiliation before taking action. Likewise, some states prohibit terminating an employee for a lawful off-duty conduct. Always remember that certain behaviors, depending on their subject and actual or intended audience, may be protected under the NLRA because they constitute protected concerted activity or may constitute protected activity under a state's legal activities law in which case the employer may be limited in what it can do in response to the behavior. In all these situations, I suggest coordinating and partnering with counsel to come up with the best resolution that is right for your geography and your unique situation. If necessary, a company's leadership may also want to coordinate with counsel to develop appropriate public messaging for internal and external audiences. In doing so, the company gains the advantage of walking the talk when it comes to being transparent and living its diversity, equity, and inclusion values such messaging is also a great tool to ensure that employees see the company's policies in action so that they are more likely to use those mechanisms to report any future issues. Well, we have spent another interesting episode tackling how you can foster diversity amongst your workforce in a legally compliant manner. If you have any more questions about these issues or anything else in the DE&I space, please shoot me an email or do give me a phone call. We will continue to unbox and demystify other DE&I concepts in future podcasts. So stay tuned and thanks for listening.